0: Eagles
1: entertainment with the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL draft the Philadelphia Eagles select
0: you're listening to the journey to the draft podcast
2: welcome to the journey to the draft podcast presented by life brand I'm your host Fran Duffy and we've got a ton of great games once again here in week seven but first we're going to get to scout stories. We're senior director of college scouting. Anthony patch joins me to talk about the tight end position, obviously topical here in Philadelphia uh, with what's happened over the last week. But Anthony patch is going to stop by and talk about the, what goes into making that projection from college to the NFL at the tight end position. After that, we're going to shift our attention to Saturday scouting with our week, seven takeaways with Dane Brugler and Ben Fennel, winners of the week who helped themselves the most when it comes to next spring's NFL draft. We'll talk about it with those two guys. We've got on the clock next where Chris McPherson returns to the show to host a debate between myself, Dane, and Ben. This week, the topic is going to be interior offensive linemen. Then we wrap it up with a question from you at home with our draft mailbag. As always, make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Make sure you're subscribed so you can make sure you get these podcasts to your podcast device each and every week, twice weekly from now up through april's draft really appreciate everybody that has gone on and left us your support over the course of the last few weeks over on apple podcast that said let's get this show rolling i'm excited to start things off with anthony patch in scout stories
3: pull up a seat it's time for scout stories
2: Well, joining us once again here for Scout Stories is Anthony Patch, the Eagles senior director of college scouting to talk about the tight end position and some of the things that make it such a tough position to scout. And, Patch, I guess I'll start there. In your mind, when you look at the tight end spot, what is the toughest part about evaluating that position and projecting guys from college to the league?
1: Uh, just how they're going to fare I, from a strength aspect, I'd say, Fran, from blocking are the NBL block that defensive end, the, you know, the five or the seven all the time and then can they do it all all around Mm. um aspect with blocking if you don't see it much a lot of the college game you got so much from when i first started though it's a big differential now with the y and the f that we we label them and um can they do it all you know and sometimes you don't get to see that too at the college level you know enough of the the blocking aspect Mm. so i'd probably say that's the you know the probably the biggest thing you don't see maybe at the college level that they're going to have to do at the pro level
2: and i guess too it's a a factor of like how they're used and just because they they didn't do it doesn't mean they they can't do it and i I guess that's the the troublesome part right it's like all right like trying to weed through all right this guy wasn't asked to do it how do you try and figure out like okay we feel like this guy can make that jump and start to to be able to be used more in the line of scrimmage as a blocker
1: yeah and i I, we got a prime example on our team, dallas goddard i mean he was you know when I evaluated him, or we, we did the biggest question mark was this guy, and he was such a uh, he was like a receiver at uh, yeah. South Dakota State. So they used them multi facets of uh, things of wing, uh, hitch, you know, his style, flex style, or even receiver, because he was his, their primary target there at the FCS level. And then you're just taking a man of that, you know, a guy of that size, and you're really just projecting. I mean, there's really nothing you can do. I mean, you can do the, the pro day thing, but nothing's going to take the value of like him being able to hang in with our, our guys on our team or even the NFL, and he's doing a fantastic job. Yeah. And so he's a prime example that you can combine. He could be the YF, whatever you want. Um, and there was nothing. We were just going on. He's a a, a guy of size and length. And he has the grit and the toughness and combine that all the intangibles you're hearing about him, Mm. and thinking like, yeah, he has a a good chance to be a good blocking tight end for us, even though it wasn't shown really much in college.
2: And I guess the, you mentioned the the intangibles there, you're going to lean on those if you, to help with the projection, right? Because uh, if it's a question mark, and I guess this can apply to a number of positions and a number of areas of game, whenever you're talking about a guy, you know, improving or taking the next step or, you know, getting bigger, getting stronger. You you say like, all right, look, this guy's got an A plus work ethic. He does everything the right way. We feel like, yeah, we bring him into our building. He's going to do what's necessary to be able to change his game up.
1: Yeah, no question. And, you know, he had good reviews at South Dakota state coming out and he, you know, he dominated as a receiver there. And, you know, we've seen his radius and his ability to run after the catch, Mm. you know, the blocking stuff. And, they were keen on his toughness there, even though he did battle. He battled the senior year, if you remember, through a, a, you know, I think believe it was a lower leg injury, calf yep. strain. Uh, yeah, he yeah. Missed, yep. missed some games, and he, really he didn't show at the Senior Bowl at all. I mean, yeah. I think he showed up and, you know, still limbering that. Even through the pro day, I mean, we sent our, you know, former tight ends coach Justin Phil up, and really he wasn't able to do much then at the pro day. But he did enough, and, um, yeah, he's he's been awesome
2: obviously it's a position that has evolved a lot when you look back over the course of your career has your process and your opinion on what's important at the position has that evolved uh, along with the the position
1: i would say yeah fran i I think the use of 12 personnel or the asset doing that you know i think when i first started guys were labeled maybe just as a like a hybrid f or more of a y or blocking i think there was more emphasis on a blocker than now i think the, the more you can do, the better, as always. And we've even seen the Dallas evolve as a great special teams guy when mm. called upon, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I think when, when I first started, I think it was more, you know, how good a blocker is this guy because there's more of a run aspect to now where it's, you know, can this guy catch the ball? Can he separate as a as a receiver type as well? Mm. It's almost to the fact where you're not seeing as many great blocking tight ends than you used to. Mm. Because there's more focus, I think, more around the the passing receiving aspect or the receiving role, and what can they do as a flex guy and so forth.
2: And, and it makes it tough too if you're evaluating a guy who was just a pure, basically got a big slot receiver in college and wasn't asked to block. But you know, maybe he doesn't make that same jump, or you don't think he can make that same jump that Dallas was able to make when he got here uh, to Philadelphia then it becomes kind of a a situation and scheme dependent thing. If that guy's going to be able to, to make that jump uh, in the NFL, right. If he's going to be used uh, in a way where, yeah, like we're not going to lean on him as much as a blocker, he's going to be essentially a a bigger receiver for us. Uh, It comes down to how he's used when he gets the league.
1: Yeah. Now, now it's the point where, you know, can we utilize him more as the receiver? You know, it's maximizing the player's talents now to to degree something
2: that answers no, it. well no it definitely does and even I just think you've said this before uh on this show and it's the more you can do right and I feel like that's kind of uh if you're talking about what is it that separates you know the the George Kittles and the the Travis Kelsey's um it's not just receiver it's not just blocker it's doing both at a high level that's the ultimate versatility at that position
1: yeah and we uh you know we've had some good tight ends here yeah. I mean, uh, I first got here with Chad Lewis, and and then uh, obviously we drafted Brent from Cincinnati, and then we added Zach in, and it, they've all the coaches have done a great job of mixing, and matching those combinations, utilizing that twelve personnel is key if you have two good tight ends, and like we we've had good tight ends the last probably ten years, I would say, yeah. right, Fran?
2: Yeah, where we've
1: where we in, you know Brent, you want to label It's just a, but he's I don't remember game in Seattle, he he took off and. He wasn't just, you know, maybe he was labeled at one time, just maybe being a better wide, but really he was a great pass catcher too.
2: I remember uh, him leaping over defenders against the Ravens. You mentioned the big play against the Seahawks. Uh, Certainly has made big plays as a pass catcher uh, over the course of his career. Well, uh, Pat, this has been great. Thanks so much for joining us here once again for Scott's stories on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: Awesome, Fran. Thank you.
2: Well, great stuff there from Patch. And again, just a couple of quick takeaways. Uh, I love talking about just the, the importance of the run game. I think we get so enveloped into what a guy can do as a pass catcher. And obviously that is priority. But if you can't be a presence, and he talked about it, consistently blocking those five and seven technique defensive ends on a consistent basis, it's tough to be a three-down player in the NFL. So you need those guys to at least be able to hold up. Uh, what did Mike Mayock tell us on this story, on this podcast in the past? lose slowly at the point of attack. Even if you can't do that at a minimum, it's going to be tough to be a three down player. Um, And I love, we we always refer back to just because a player did not do it in college doesn't mean that he can't do it moving forward. Uh, We always apply that to a number of players that we've seen, but Dallas Goddard is certainly a great example. So it was great to touch on that with patch. And then also the big topic that I think is important to take away, just how much work ethic and the off field aspect of this evaluation impacts a player's upside you know we talk all the time about what a guy did at the combine or at his pro day and look at the athletic traits and he's got great upside well if you don't have those off-field qualities if you don't have that love of the game the the work ethic and that willingness to get better if you're not going to try and perfect your craft well now I don't know if you're going to reach that upside and so that's why when you have all those off-field questions about a player that has the physical upside that's what makes it such a tough evaluation because now there's just so much more risk into whether or not a player can reach that ceiling. And so uh, when you talk about guys that, you know, there are questions about the eval, well, if he's, a, if he's got all the work ethic questions answered, well, now all of a sudden you feel pretty good about him reaching that upside. I think that's a really important takeaway here from that conversation with Patch. So uh, great stuff there from him. Hope you guys are enjoying this segment. We will continue to do it every single week, uh, really through the rest of the college football season. That said, speaking about this college football season, let's turn our attention now to week seven. It's time for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, time to talk through week seven here in college football to help me do that. Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler. Guys, let's give out our game balls. We had another fun weekend of college football, some some upsets, some tough losses across the country, but uh, we'll, we'll start with some positive notes here and start with the game ball. Uh, ben, I'll come to you first. Who got your game ball here from this weekend in college football?
4: Well, we're going to go over to the uh, the fighting Purdue Boilermakers, uh, beating the number two at Iowa once again. They seem to have a really good track record with knocking off the number two team in the country. I thought I heard they have like six or seven or eight wins in their program history against number two. But on the defensive side of the ball, George Carflitus, uh, I thought had a really good game. Carlaftis. Wait what friend. Give me the give me the good pronunciation. Carlaftis. <laughs>
2: George Carlaftis. Here we go. Carl
4: Aftis. he had 11 pressures, only one sack, but he was up the quarterback's butt and on his back most of the afternoon, really hurrying throws. And anytime he had a single block it seemed like he was winning. And the only way you were stopping him was getting that ball out. I really felt like he impacted the game and was a bit of a risky formula for Iowa to kind of leave him uh, in some one-on-one situations and not dedicate more bodies to him like we've seen the past couple of weeks. Put on the Illinois tape where he was a little quiet. Two, three guys, chippers, slide protection. It was a frustrating game, but that's the victim of your success. You know, when you're a big-time player like he is, you get the bodies, you get the extra protection, the slides. Hides the bumps, but I thought he played really well on Sunday and upset win or Saturday, excuse me,
2: guys, we've talked about Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan and how uh, for a lot of mock drafts, he's like middle of round one, late round one. And now over the last week or so, we're starting to see him kind of slide up there into that top 10. I kind of feel that Carlaft is similar, right, where most mock drafts we see him on the back end of the first round. I think it's only a matter of time before we start seeing him slide more into that top fifteen, top sixteen, uh, potentially top ten kind of range. Like Dane, is that kind of how you see him as well, or do you think he's more suited for the back end of round one? Uh, they were both top fifteen picks
0: in July. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. in my opinion, yeah, I, think, I agree with you. They, I think they were twelve and thirteen on my preseason top fifty board. Um, I mean, I, I, to me, they were, but they both showed enough last year that. You know, then they play the right position that they're going to be yep. top 15 picks, early first rounders. And so far, both of them have lived up to, uh, you know, what we we thought they, they are, what they could be. Hutchinson has been remarkable. And yeah, Carl Aftis, I mean, he was ridiculous. He had double digit pressures against Iowa. Um, I mean, he's so good at using his hands. It, it is ridiculous. They're, they are registered weapons. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that Ben, um, you know, picked him for his game ball because he deserves it.
4: You know, in that same kind of ballpark of the first round projections heading in, into the season, you had other guys like Adam Anderson at Georgia, and Nick Benito, a little bit more of the undersized, speedy edge rusher. Carl Aftis is a better football player. And I think once we start getting through the season into the spring – the better football players are going to rise to the top, and that's Hutchinson. That's you know the the Purdue kid, and we'll see if other guys can crash the party. Whether it's maybe Isaiah Thomas from Oklahoma or mm. you know Annabari from South Carolina, or some of those other guys.
2: Sure, uh, Dane. Uh, let's go to you. Who got your game ball? Let's stick with the Boilermakers
0: because on the other side of the ball, uh, David Bell. Uh, this guy is an Iowa killer. Uh, <laughs> two years ago, thirteen for one ninety-seven and a touchdown. Okay, as a freshman last year. 13 catches again, 121 yards, three touchdowns. Okay, let's go to Saturday. A, a junior, his third time going up against Iowa, Bell had 11 catches, 240 yards, one touchdown. I, I mean, th- this guy, I, I was praying that uh, he goes to the NFL after this season. They don't want to see him next year. Uh, Boilermakers, they got an early lead on the Hawkeyes, never trailed. They knocked off the number two in the nation, uh, number two team in the, t- in the nation, like Ben mentioned. Uh, Bell was a big part of this, uh, of his 11 catches, nine resulted in a first down. He's not the most explosive player out there, but did, does such a great job using pacing in his routes. Uh, I love his tracking and adjustment skills in a lot of ways. He reminds me of Tyler Johnson come out of Minnesota two years ago. Um, hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him overly dynamic, but he gets open. He makes plays, uh, just a big time performance on Saturday. That's going to help him, uh, you know, compete to be a day two pick.
2: I, I watched him over the summer and I thought his best traits were number one, his ability to play through contact. And then I thought he was automatic at the catch point. Like he just caught everything. His hand eye coordination was outstanding, really soft hands. Like uh, compared to me, like very, they're a little bit different in terms of body type. But like what Drake London is doing out west, the USC, obviously he's getting, he's getting a lot of production. And a lot of people are, you know, he's flying up uh, everybody's mock drafts. But like David Bell is a very similar kind of player. They're just built a little bit differently. Uh, But Bell, to me, I mean, just catches everything. I I agree with you, Dane, not necessarily what you would call dynamic athletically. I wish he was even a little bit more technically refined. Like, I feel like that was one thing that made me love Tyler Johnson so much was that he was just so crafty and just so polished with his releases and with his route package. I I thought you saw a a lot more there, but Bell catches everything. And and that's certainly something that stands out to me. Ben, Ben, have you done Bell? Yeah, I actually watched a, a lot of him. I think the lack of athleticism
4: also speaks in his lack of contribution on special teams. So mm, only five yep. special team snaps coming into the season. Also, rarely gets any yak opportunities. That was really more of the Rondell Moore kind of right. role in the offense. But just speaks to I think his you know lack of desire to kind of get him in space. But incredible at the catch point. I think is good size at you know six two two hundred five. No yeah. and, and there's been there's really been minimal blips on his trajectory. He was the Indiana, you know, Gatorade Player of the Year. Decided to go to in-state uh, or you know, next-door neighbor Purdue. Big Ten Freshman of the Year, right out of the gates, and then last year in the Big Ten, quietly, first-team All Big Ten. Yep, you know that's with you know Olave and all the other Jahan Dotson and all
2: the other who's who Big Ten receivers. This guy's been productive from day one. Yeah, he's uh, to me like again. If you really love Drake London and you think, oh, he's top fifteen pick, top twenty pick, well, you would love David Bell uh, as well. Um, for me, guys, I'm going to go. Tough, tough loss for Florida, right? And LSU, you like them coming out with the win. It was a a really gutsy performance by them. Their running back, uh, who's a true junior, Tyrion Davis-Price, 6'1", 230 pounds. This guy went off. I mean, they could not stop him on the ground. Over 30 carries, almost 300 yards. Pretty sure it was an LSU single-game record. Uh, And obviously, we know the backs that have come out of LSU over the course of the last, you know, a couple years. Uh, 287 yards, three touchdowns on the ground, eight yards per carry. No catches. Uh, so, you know, there, maybe there's questions about the, the pass game usage there. But uh, Tyrion Davis Price was certainly the catalyst of that upset win for LSU over Florida. I'm not sure if any of you guys caught that game uh, or if you have any thoughts on, on Davis Price at all. But I thought that was a standout performance from him uh, for certain coming into this one.
0: Well, my thoughts are where's this guy been? I mean, yeah, they, right. the LSU could not get the run game going at all earlier this year. And then all of a sudden, They've got this kid who sets a new school record for a single-game performance. I mean, really, really impressive. So, um, yeah, I just, I just want to know what's been going on with that LSU offense that we couldn't see more of this earlier. Maybe uh, they wouldn't have a coaching change already.
2: Yeah, no question. And honestly, for my uh, one-play takeaway, I feel like that kind of fits the same deal um, because Auburn, they got that big win over Arkansas. Everyone's kind of been waiting for this pass game for Auburn to open up. Bo Nix, one of the most productive games of his career, uh, hooks up with Demetrius Robertson who was the former Georgia, uh, Georgia receiver via Cal started his career uh, out West, but Robertson, 71-yard touchdown late in the game to ice it from Bo Nix, and it was a a really well-designed play. They had him on a stack release. That helped uh, get him off the ball clean. He didn't have to face press coverage. He runs that deep post route against split safeties. He tracks it and runs away from the defense. So over 70 yards from Demetrius Robertson, uh, I thought one of the standout plays from the weekend, a big one for Robertson. Uh, Like I said, it's his third stop. I think it's his like sixth or it might even be his seventh year. Uh, He's been in college football for a long time, but Robertson, uh, big-time play to help ice the win there for the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Ben, what was your one Play takeaway from this week. I had to go back to my 2020 draft sheet to find uh,
4: Demetrius Robertson. A lot of Davis Webb notes in there. There we go. Twenty 24 years old as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But guys, a team that uh, I previewed the matchup last week, Baylor, BYU, fun five and one, five and one. Baylor got the win, but we got to start talking about this Baylor backfield guys because there's two really intriguing players, running back Abram Smith, who's 5'11", 220 came into the season with only 12 carries in three years, really his first year as a, uh, as a role player or any sort of role in the offense. And Tristan Ebner, uh, who has 107 career receptions, a lot of the backfield, 1,300 yards as a receiver. Yep. He's 5'11", 2'15". This is a running back through and through as a great pass catcher out of the backfield. Three kickoff return touchdowns in his career. He was a Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Year last year, if I'm not mistaken. But Abram Smith is 2'20". He's up to 10 touchdowns on the season. Had a really good game over the weekend against uh, uh, BYU. On third and three at a nine-yard touchdown, where he got absolutely stoned on the goal line by two defenders. And just kept churning, kept pushing, kept falling forward, really good through contact. Then a one-yard touchdown on a fourth and goal, same thing, just plowed right through a defender. Ten touchdowns on a year, 7.4 average. He is cooking, guys. And that Baylor backfield is fun, exciting. They're putting up a lot of points. And they're kind of a no-nonsense group. This guy, Smith, would almost like looks for contact to, to blast through arm tackles and to fall forward. But Baylor, two really good running backs.
2: Yeah, we, we've been talking a little bit about Ebner over the last couple of years. I got kind of got tipped off to him uh, going into the 2020 season. Um, and really, you know, what, what he's doing on both offense and special teams is really notable. Everybody you know, is looking for those matchup running backs, those matchup pieces out of the backfield. And I think Ebner definitely brings that dimension. Uh, Dan, I'm not sure if you've done either of these Baylor backs, but if not, uh, we'd love to get your one play takeaway as well.
0: Uh, I have seen them, but I haven't done a deep dive on them yet. Um, I, I It was funny when I watched Baylor, it's mostly for their their defense, uh, which kind of goes against what Baylor usually has produced. But um, from my one-play takeaway, I, I want to shout out Washington pass rusher uh, Zion Tupuolu-Fatui, uh, ZTF, who returned on the, to the field Saturday uh, six months to the day, basically, after tearing his Achilles in the spring. All American last year led the country in sacks per game coming into the year. He was going to be one of the the better pass rushing prospects that we'd be talking about, but he had that injury and you think, okay, well, he's out for the 2021 season. And, you know, maybe he comes back the next year. Uh, he, he was back and he looked great. They had him on a snap count. He only had like I think 10 snaps, but of those 10 snaps, he got a pressure on half of them. So you saw the, the same guy with the physical hands, with the quickness, uh, you know, it's still too early to say, you know, is he going to be part of this 2022 draft class or not? Just great to see him back on the field.
2: Ben, I know you were high on him last year. It seemed like once the Pac-12 kind of picked up play, uh, you were tweeting about this kid and how disruptive he was for Washington. They were missing Levi Onzerike, uh last year obviously after he did not return um, to the field. But uh, ZTF was tearing things up a year ago.
4: Yeah, he plays really hard, kind of a hair on fire type, kind of a stiff lower half. Uh, but that short, squatty frame, he's like 6'3, almost 280, 285.
2: He kind of really looks like Zadarius Smith from the Packers, honestly. Like, well, I, I haven't done the I haven't I done Zadarius
4: is a little bit longer, a little bit longer limb, a little bit of a longer torso as well. I thought I would watch at games in the afternoon in the Big 12, uh, Big 10, and then I'd watch the night games. I said, This guy is the Pac 12 version of Quiddy Pei, hmm. where he's just a short, rocked up guy, just blasting through shoulders, inside moves, great pursuit, good run defender, stiff hipped sure. But that's really not why you're getting that player, getting him because he's relentless and strong. And uh, you know it's unfortunate to see the injury, but great to see him back on the field and let's pick up where he left off last
2: year. For, so from one impressive debut to another for my down the road freak show guys, I'm taking the low hanging fruit here. Uh, I'm going to go with Oklahoma uh, quarterback, Caleb Wilson. And uh, look, he's one of the, the big storylines of college football this week, taking over for Spencer Rattler as the starter for the Sooners. And look, the production was there. We saw him running around. We saw him making plays with his, with his legs, with his arm. I think the big thing is just seeing like, oh yeah, like that's Oklahoma's offense. That's Lincoln Riley's offense and watch how well they're operating. Watch how effective they are uh, and, you know, keeping the defense on their toes at all times. To me, just watching Wilson run that offense, he was running it at a, at a better le- level than what we've seen from Rattler so far. So uh, certainly a name that we're going to be talking about for the next couple of years, if he could stay on trajectory and stay on track here, but uh really impressive debut for Caleb Wilson.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, I- Spencer Rattler, I mean, he, he's already looking at other colleges, you know, for transfer because that's he's not getting that job back with the way Caleb Wilson played. Uh, and I, I'm sticking with the same game. Uh, going with the other side, though, TCU, wide receiver Quentin Johnson. Uh, he finished with uh, seven for 185 and three touchdowns against the Sooners, basically uh, willing TCU to stay in that game. Uh, he put himself on the map last year towards the end of last season. He set a Big 12 freshman record with 22 yards per catch. Uh, he's at career best against uh, Oklahoma on Saturday. He's got size. He's six He's got speed. He's, he showed that he could be a little slippery after the catch. He doesn't drop the football, Uh, so he's definitely a guy to keep on the radar for the 2023 wide receiver class.
2: Dude, That one touchdown, he went up and over and took it right off the corner's head. Uh, Just absolutely mossed the guy uh, in the end zone. It was an outstanding catch, and he had the deep ball as well. It was a catch-and-run kind of play. Uh, Really, really impressive performance from Quinn Johnson in that one against Oklahoma. Ben, uh, who's your down-the-road guy?
4: Well, as we know with these guys, when we start to project them as first rounders in a year, two years, there's always a signature performance. And I felt like the Georgia Bulldog defensive tackle Jalen Carter, number 88, had his signature performance on Saturday all over the Kentucky Wildcats in the backfield, rushing the passer, blowing up blocks, slipping gaps. Seemed like it was just taking turns between him and Jordan Davis and locking down that run game and causing havoc. But Big 88 is only a sophomore out there. And his background is just so much fun. D-tackle, tight end, punter in high school. This guy competed in bench pressing in high school and, you know, in power lifting. So he's a guy that's a powerful dude. He's athletic. He's light-footed. He's wearing that ugly number 88 in there in the trenches. But he is oh, all, beautiful. Come all on. over ball carriers and quarterbacks. File him away for later. I think he's 19 years old. This Georgia Bulldog defense is deep, deep, deep with draftable players. He's a down-the-road guy, so file that one for later.
0: He might be the best player on that defense. I mean, (laughs) legitimately, right now, as as many guys as they have on that defense who will play professional football, he might be the best. I, I was really blown away watching him, especially the last two weeks.
2: Well, I was, so I watched just in the last couple of days, uh, I've watched Jordan Davis from this year. I've watched Adam Anderson from this year. I take a pick at, at uh, Nacoby Dean. And like, anytime you're watching the one guy, usually Ben, you know, me, right. I'll, I'll sit there and I'm like, Oh, like, all right, I'm going to watch this Georgia defense. I'll try and knock out like three or four guys. I'm not even trying to attempt that this with this one. I'm going to try and see if I can stay hyper-focused on this defense But you can't. Like I'm watching Adam Anderson. I'm like, oh yeah, look at Jordan Davis on this one. Oh, look at look at all these guys running around and making plays. That front seven is absolutely loaded. And uh, to see a guy, um, you know, uh, that can step in and make that kind of an an impression as a young player, like what we've seen from Jalen Carter, really, really impressive. Um, But you talk about you know this is a player that we're watching early and we could project. Yeah, this guy's probably a first round pick. That's the opposite of the guy I want to hit for my film room recap. And I don't think anybody was necessarily talking about Kenny Pickett as a potential first, second round, even like third round type quarterback coming into this year. Um, he goes back for that extra year at Pitt. And now that this is going to be his fourth year as a starter. Dane, you did the piece uh, with Mark Whipple last week. You've been talking about him over the last couple of weeks here on the show. Had my first chance to really sit down and study him. I studied four games um, from this season You see a player that is playing with a lot of confidence right now. Uh, The accuracy is repetitive and consistent. He's really always putting it on uh, the receiver from multiple platforms, falling away from throws and still putting it on the money down in the red zone and under pressure. Uh, I was really, really impressed. And it's funny. I was talking with you, Ben, on, on the day that I was studying Pickett. Dane, you and I were texting offline. We were texting over the weekend about him. And I said, yeah, like he kind of reminds me of Joe Burrow, just from a stylistic standpoint, he's got that creative element to his game, uh, you know, the, the accuracy and the decision making, all that stuff, uh, all there. And then it's funny, there's a, a quote from Brent Venables cause Clemson's getting ready to play Pitt this week. And he said, uh, yeah, he kind of reminds me of Joe Burrow. And he compared, he said the, the great supporting cast, I don't know that Pitt's supporting cast is quite as quite the same as what Joe Burrow had at LSU, but Pickett, man. I mean, he can make all. Is he a pure power thrower in terms of his overall arm talent? No, but I think he's good enough to make all the throws. And I think you would say the same about Joe Burrow. And like I said, just the accuracy and the decision making. I throw. I know he's thrown a lot of picks over his career, but going back and watching a lot of those picks, you see receivers falling down, you see balls bouncing off receivers' hands, uh, you see defenders bearing down, and then it results in an interception. So he's had some tough breaks along the way. Um, But Dane, I was really impressed watching Kenny Pickett uh, and a guy I know that you've written about and you're going to continue to write about here moving forward yeah i don't know
0: how you watch kenny pickett and you're not impressed i yeah. mean everything you want to see from him he's doing he's processing the entire field uh he, like you said he's so accurate and it's consistent he puts it on receivers so they can be uh athletes after the catch uh i mean his timing is perfect um you know his his footwork within the pocket he's really he's a really good athlete um, there's a lot of things going for him that is just everything's clicking and yeah in my piece with mark Whipple he just kept talking about experience 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 how this is their third year together and now how everything has been building to this and so um you know uh, pick is a guy that was going to be drafted last year he he would have been a day three pick. Sure. Uh, so it's not like this guy is just coming out of nowhere, but the consistent level of play, playing at a high level, I, the Joe Burrow comparison, yeah, it fits. I, I mean, I it sounds a little sacrilegious. Joe Burrow had one of the best quarterback seasons, maybe the best quarterback season we've ever seen. So I, I know that sounds lofty uh, putting that out there, but I, I'm with you on it because there's a lot of things, a lot of similarities you could draw between those two quarterbacks.
4: You know, I dove into a lot of his tape last year as he was starting to get some buzz and some pit media reached out to me. Uh, for some comments on his projections and I called him a fourth or fifth round player. Yep. And it was in the time in the NFL where we had guys starting Nick Mullins, Ben DiNucci, Brett Rippon, Kyle Allen, Gardner Mincho, Those are guys that all started games last year. And I sat back in my chair and said, Kenny Pickett is just as if not better than all of those guys, if they can start games, so can he now, how does he get there? Will somebody spend high draft capital to make him a potential starter? I thought he kind of embodies what a backup is in this league, but that can give you an opportunity to start games as we've seen with that group of quarterbacks, smart, responsible with the ball. And when you're talking, you know, the third, fourth, fifth rounders last year, it's guys like Kenny Pickett or the high variant Kellen Mons of the world, or the risky, unproven Davis Mills of the world. I thought Kenny Pickett was just as intriguing. A lot of fourth quarter losses, tons of drops out there at Pittsburgh. Not a lot of help. Um, you know, and I just felt like he had a really steady play to him that it really represents what you want out of backup quarterbacks that maybe just don't have those over the top traits, athleticism, arm strength to get you excited.
2: And, and I, w- I remember sitting with you, Ben, when you had like that aha moment, we were talking about it uh, in regards to Zach Wilson. All right. And it was like, man, like we're watching Zach Wilson. And it was like, you know, around this time of year, and it was like, man, like. Watch this guy make plays. Like no one's talking about him going this high. And Dana, I remember when you first put Zach Wilson up into the top five. You were one of the first people to knock Zach Wilson that high. And we talk all the time about it. Yeah, every year there's one of those quarterbacks that makes that rise, makes that run up the board. You know, and Matt Corral certainly seems like uh, he's on that kind of a trajectory. If he were to come out, uh, that he'll be you know somewhere in that uh, that first half of the first round. Kenny Pickett, uh, I think, is playing his way uh, into that as well, Ben.
4: You know, and the last thing, I just made that note that he led college football since he's been at Pitt and drops his receiving cores, really let him down. And then I watched Trevor Lawrence throw to Justin Ross and T. Higgins and these gazelle receivers with excellent hands, incredible catch radius that really make up for a lot of poor placements. So while you had, you know, Joe Burrow throwing to first rounders and Trevor Lawrence throwing to Spiderman, you had Kenny Pickett with receiving cores and skilled players really kind of letting him down. And I think you really have to dive into the supporting cast and he's kind of a victim of having a lackluster one through most of his career. I'm glad to see Jordan Addison and some guys stepping up this year, Lucas Cole and some guys, but uh, anyways.
2: Yeah, no, uh, it's, I think you have to isolate the traits and and really kind of focus in uh, on the player for sure. But
0: uh, let me, let me ask you guys real quick. So, okay. The top, the first three quarterbacks are going to be drafted in April. I, you know, you guys might disagree, but I think, you know, saying Malik Willis and, and uh, Matt Corral, whether that's top five or right. mid first, wherever they're drafted, I think there's a good chance those two guys are two of the first three. Who's the third? Could it be Desmond Ritter? Yeah, it could, could be. be. Yep. Uh, you know, could it be one of these other uh, underclassmen that come out? Yeah, sure. It could be. Kenny Pickett's just uh, he's got as much of a chance, in my opinion, to be that third quarterback as anybody else in the country.
2: I think you're making the argument when it comes to like Ritter versus Pickett. I, Ritter's traits are better, right? I, he's a little mm-hmm. bit more dynamic. He's got more juice from an athleticism standpoint. I think his arm has just got a little bit more horsepower to it. I think Pickett's probably a little bit more polished of a player. And look, he's a, a more uh, experienced player uh, when it's, when it comes down to it. Well, I guess they're pretty. Uh, both guys are four year starters. Both guys have played plenty, but. Uh, I think Pickett's just a little bit more, especially from the accuracy and ball placement standpoint, I think he's just a little yeah. bit more consistent in that area. I can
4: also see like, you know, Matt Canada wanting Carson Strong and I could see, sure. yeah. you know, uh, Scott Turner yep. and Washington wanting Matt Corral. Yep. So I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, kind of yep. who's in the market and what they what they want out of those quarterback spots.
2: No doubt. Yep. All right. Well, let's get to uh, the rest of our film room recaps here. Uh, Dane, who's a guy that, that stood out to you recently on film?
0: So, you know, I, I really liked Mississippi State tackle Charles Cross um, when I studied him over the summer. Uh, I was so much about his evaluation was projection based because he's so young. Uh, he was only a redshirt freshman last year, a redshirt sophomore this year. Um, but I, I liked him a lot. I, I put him at number twenty two overall on my preseason board, and he has absolutely lived up to that, in my opinion. Watching him this year, catching up on his tape. Uh, really good with his movement patterns, his body position. He rolls his hips into contact. Uh, Where I was really impressed, his hand usage, uh, especially for a, a player as, as young as he is, his placement's terrific. He's patient. uh, He's a good feel for counters. His length really helps him to recover. I, I want to see him continue to strengthen his anchor, cut down on some of the penalties, but he has been outstanding and I think has absolutely lived up to that high ranking. Uh, Cross is playing like a guy who... Can be one of the first three tackles drafted, possibly the top fifteen picks. He he pitched a shutout against Alabama over the weekend. Uh, watched that tape this morning. Uh, aside from a two uh, two penalties, it was a, is a awesome performance. So um, you know Charles Cross. I you look at this tackle class. For me personally, Evan Neal is the top guy. Um, you know yeah. then you have then you have a I think both those guys are top ten picks in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then Charles Cross. I mean he's right there. Uh, as the third tackle for me, I, I think he's, he's really done a nice job and, and you know, helped solidify the, where we thought he could be or where we hoped he could be over the summer.
2: That's the thing is I feel like watching him over the summer, it's like, oh, like, I see why people are really high on this guy. I did not think he was a finished product. Uh, you know, there, I thought there were a lot of issues that we saw a year ago uh, that just showed up too often on tape. But you saw the traits and to see him put it all together this year. Uh, I have not done the tape, but to hear you talk about how he, uh, he's put it together uh, this year is a really good sign. Because, I mean, the the natural tools were always there uh, with Charles Cross, only a redshirt sophomore. Right? I mean, the guy's still uh, very, very young. Um, ben, who's your standout guy from this week?
4: Yeah, I think really, you know, figuring out the development of these tackles is yeah. going to be important, whether it's a Kwanu's growth as a pass protector, Charles Cross, a guy like Zion Nelson, where you just kind of develop a feel and reputation on a guy. And sometimes it's hard to get out of that. And I'm I'm victim of it as well. Uh, you know, I've been saying that kind of Dane off record, uh, you know, some stuff about Icky from 2020 really left a lasting impression. You got to give them a clean slate, give these kids a chance to improve. Yeah. That's both, you know, kind of, aesthetically and uh you know physically but anyways let's talk florida a&m that's right florida a&m safety marquise bell this guy's getting steam he just got a shrine invite last week congratulations but he is a heck of a football player guys 6'2, 208 pound redshirt senior safety at florida a&m but remember maryland transfer and then he had a cup of coffee at coffeeville juco But he was a four-star, Under Armour All-American. He chose Maryland at the table with the hats. Who were the hats on the table? Ohio State, Clemson, Virginia Tech. He chose Maryland. Everybody wanted this kid. High school quarterback, receiver, DB, state champ high jumper, long limbs, explosive, fast, athletic, all the boxes as you, you want out of a safety. Plays down in the box quite often. If he's on the back end, he's looking to trigger into the alley quite a bit. Fran, you saw me watching tape of him last week and was so excited about his hitting. He is what I call a snap tackler. Always under control, comes to balance, rarely reckless, but he's not trying to knock you off his feet with momentum at a 20-yard head start. He can knock you off his feet, off your feet in a phone booth. And you absolutely love that because it's form tackling with your head up with proper hip snap, and he snaps at you like a boa and will throw you right to the ground with power and strength. Great force fumble in the alley against South Carolina State in 2019. He did opt out last year or they didn't play or whatever the situation was. Uh, but if you go back, he's been producing every year. He's been on the field, two interceptions in the Southern game. He's a little lost in coverage at times. He gave up a touchdown. I think the USF, which was one of his few power five opponents uh, this year, group of five opponents. Uh, fbs opponents but some some little more wanton coverage i think he's going to be a downhill box safety that can really disrupt the alley and match up on some tight ends and stuff but he's a playmaker and anytime you have a guy that's making plays forcing fumbles getting picks the ball is finding him the nfl will take an extra look at you so marquise bell florida a&m don't scout the helmet
2: Aren't, yeah, boa, aren't boa aren't constrictors? Aren't they? Don't they like strangle? They're not like the. Don't uh, the get all animal snapper.
4: planted on me here. All right, they'll snap on you and a. Heartbeat.
2: Cobras, cobras will go after you, but oh, yeah. uh, I think the boa. Uh, there's uh, a rattlesnake, slow death. yeah, something, yeah, there
4: something more, uh, twitchy.
0: No, uh, I'm glad you brought them up because I've said before this senior safety class just doesn't do a ton for me. I, I after Jaquan Brisker, it's like okay, you know who are these next safeties? I, some of these guys are hard to get excited about. I think Bell could. Could absolutely be one of the guys that benefits from that. And, you know, whether he's at the Shrine or the Senior Bowl, wherever, uh you know, he's doing his, his uh, pre-draft All-Star game, he's got a chance to be a top five senior safety this year. Uh, we'll have to see which underclassmen come out of the position, but uh, he's got a
4: chance to uh,
0: make some noise, no
4: question. Yeah, and they had a great conversation last week, Fran did, with Jordan Reed over in the Draft Network, highlighting some of these uh, under the radar players, FCS players, Marquise Bell, to Kobe Durant at South Carolina State. Go ahead and re-listen to that episode from last week. Well, a lot of good stuff
2: for certain. Well, uh, guys, uh, we're gonna see. We're gonna move to our uh, on the clock segment, and like a boa constrictor, I'm just slowly <laughs> strangling <laughs> you guys uh, and trying to build on my league. We'll see if I can do that here. As we welcome and see, I'm gonna Matt go study some
4: study some snakes here. Once we yeah, so, uh,
2: you're, you're, you're way behind. You got you got to get caught up. I don't know what you're doing. Over my there.
4: animal references are all over the place.
2: right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's well, welcome cmac c for
3: on the clock
2: on the clock. All right, let's keep the show rolling here with on the clock. As we welcome into the show, Chris McPherson, C-Mac. Once again, you are back to be the uh, judge, jury and executioner,
3: my friend. That's a little harsh there. Uh, we're not going to go that far. We're not going to execute you for uh, bad takes on this. So, but for this week's on the clock, we're going to go a little, little offensive line play here once again. We dipped our toes into it a couple of weeks ago. Which interior offensive line? Okay, focusing on the interior guards and centers projects the best to be a pro bowler within his first three years in the NFL. Okay, so we got the the ground rules. All right, Dane, you get to start us off this week. I don't even know the standings. We don't have to worry about the stand. I don't want to know the standings. I don't want to cloud my judgment. I don't, I
2: don't. want. You, I don't want you to know the standings either. We, we don't. You. We don't need you
3: uh, any to pity folks. Thank you. So
4: <laughs> don't watch uh, the scoreboard. You know, just try to be one and zero this week. All right. Exactly.
3: <laughs> all right, Dane. What do you got?
4: All right. Well, this is one of those questions
0: where I'm very happy picking first because Iowa Center Tyler Linderbaum. He has Pro Bowls in his future. Uh, his near future. He's only a redshirt junior, uh, but like this guy is an all-around athlete. Five-sport athlete in high school. Played on both the offensive and defensive lines. He actually arrived at Iowa as a defensive lineman. They moved him to center in 2019. Became the starter. In the past two and a half years, he has been dominant. Explosive out of a stance. He can reach the three technique with ease. He's so good at using his quickness, uh, his body fluidity to seal, to bury guys on the move. He's smart. He's got that nasty streak that you want. Uh, no surprise, he was a big time wrestler in high school. Uh, when he was a junior, he was the only guy to pin the state champion that year. Who was it? His future teammate, Tristan Werfs. Werfs actually said that Linderbaum was the only guy to make him nervous, which really says something about Linderbaum's uh, competitive toughness. So 6'2, 290, not the biggest guy, not the longest guy, but you know what? Neither's uh, Jason Kelsey. You know, he's in the mold of that type of player. Linderbaum is who many wanted uh, Garrett Bradbury to be a few years ago when the Vikings drafted him 18th overall. So explosive quickness, physical hands, that bulldog tenacity that frustrates opponents. He's going to start as a rookie next year,
3: and the Pro Bowls are going to follow up. How Five sports. What were the five sports? Football, wrestling. Do we know all, all five? I mean, are we counting, like, bowling? Did he get, like, water polo in there to be, to be five sports? Pretty impressive, so.
0: Yeah, no, it is. And I'm trying to remember uh, basketball, uh, baseball, and track, wrestling,
3: football. Those five. Gotcha. Right? Yeah, Nicely yeah, done. Nicely yeah. done. Can count to five. Good job on your part there. I, got, well, I only so, use one hand. So from a <laughs> testing standpoint, from an athleticism profile, is he going to be upper echelon? You you threw out the name Jason Kelsey. I mean, that's, that's pretty high regard right there. So is He's, he going to yeah. test that high? Because I feel like at that size, that's what he's going to need to separate himself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's in that mold because, you know, he was a freak list uh, guy uh, for Bruce Feldman. His 10-yard split, according to Bruce Feldman, was uh, it, just otherworldly. I Just uh, unbelievable. I don't know he's going to get there, but he is going to test off the charts at the combine uh, during the testing period uh, of the draft process. And I think the best part of that is The tape is even better. I mean, every week, uh, one of my favorite things on Monday morning is to watch the Iowa tape and watch this guy go to work because there is at least a handful of plays every single week of him making plays, uh, whether he's burying a guy, whether he's, you know, that reach block, the the range that other centers don't have. So, yeah, I think he's going to test off the charts. But, again, I think the tape is even more impressive.
3: All right, Ben. Are you going to try to make a case for your guy? Are you just going to trash Dane's guy? What, which direction are you going to go here this week? Which Ben are we getting? This is the wild card each and every week. We're
4: going to play nice this week. That's a very good pick. And Tyler Linderbaum might have been my pick uh, if I had the uh, had the honors. But I'm more than okay with going with NC State. That's right. Left tackle, Iki Ikuanu. Because C-Mac, I'm sliding him inside. He played left guard last year as well. I think he's a great fit to be a guard in any scheme in the NFL. This is the most advanced run blocker I've studied in my years of studying the draft. That's over Quinton Nelson, over Brandon Scherf. Now there's some issues in pass pro, but that's why I want him cushioned in there and guard and C-Mac. We know pro bowls are a little bit of a product of your reputation. It just happens that way. But Ike Iekuanu has the reputation going into draft season and will, as a young player in the NFL, that will earn him these Pro Bowl accolades and will be all over social media and the highlights on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday mornings after games, just like Brandon Scherfs and Quentin Nelson and all those offensive linemen that create those nasty highlights. You look for it because he produces it. And I just think all that in combination, this guy is on a great track to be an eventual Pro Bowler in his first three years. I don't know if he reminds me of Willie Rofe, whose nickname was Nasty. You kind of see that in Aquano. Or maybe Will Shields. But I really think this guy is going to be a 10, 12-year NFL pro. Hey, Will Shields, 12-time Pro Bowler. Willie Rofe, 11-time Pro Bowler. Two guys that were pretty uh, mainstays in Hawaii back in the day and paving some lanes for Priest Holmes and some of those great Chiefs offensive lines. But Iki Iquano, whether you want to go Rofe or Shields, that's obviously high accolades. I think this guy's on a great track to be a Pro Bowl guard.
3: I like how Dane throws out Kelsey. Okay, multiple All-Pros, arguably should have been All-Decade. And basically, like, I'm going to go Hall of Fame. I'm like, let's just go to the next next level here. For hey, this. I now-
4: the Pro Bowl accolades of those two. They both have their gold jackets as well, but here we're talking <laughs> Pro Bowls. And the and the Pro Bowl selection, we all know, it gets caught up a little bit in some narratives and some reputation. So that's all part of the equation. I think, C-Mac, you know already, Ike Kwano is starting to build this almost legendary presence to him. I know you've seen some of those highlight snot-bubbling hits out on Twitter. Dane Brugler just posted a couple this morning uh, from his 2021 season. So, you know, Dane's on board with them as well. Fran absolutely loves them, So we'll see. We'll because see if maybe C-Max C- vote for the uh, the top guard center to be a pro bowler in three years.
3: Now, the thing is, uh, are you is he an, actually going to go inside? Or are you just saying, taking the best tackle and saying, all right, I'm just going to move him inside for the sake of my argument here, or, or is this a legitimate position? This is a legitimate,
4: but it's a, it's a Fennel projection, and but it's, <laughs> it's cushioned with a lot of other views that feel the same way, and he's a guy that played some left guard last year. I'm pretty sure he was first team all ACC at tackle and guard, if I'm not mistaken. If I am mistaken, let's just roll with it, um, but he was a really good player at both. I see some issues out on the edge that I want him just to be a little bit more protected. But he's a really athletic player in space. You could see some highlight plays on screen passes. But I just think a guard let him eat and vertically displace defensive tackles, climb to linebackers, pull and crush people. There's a lot you
2: could do with this kid in the run game.
3: Guy that looks for work. All right, Fran, are we saving the best for last?
2: Well, we'll find out. And I look, I think that Ben was on the right track with a lot of what he was saying in terms of Pro Bowl offensive linemen tend to be filed with some pedigree, right? There were guys that were drafted high or have those highlight blocks that take over social media. I just happen to be talking about a player that is actually going to be listed as a guard by most people when they're going into the NFL draft because Ike i well, go keep him out there at tackle. But we got the Ben Fennel projection. Let's talk through my player. That's Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Now, Kenyon Green, of the guys that we've talked about so far, Cmac, he's the only one right now that's going in the top 15 of like every single mock draft uh, that you open up on the interweb. So I think when you look at Kenyon Green, he came into Texas A&M as a five-star recruit. He was one of the top offensive linemen in the country, comes in and starts as a true freshman at right guard, then starts as a true sophomore at left guard before eventually bumping out the tackle this year. So a guy that's got extensive guard experience. And I think when you watch him at six foot four, 325 pounds, you see this guy as an interior guy all the way. And what I love most about Kenyon Green, not only does he have that proven versatility. So he can potentially see the field a little bit earlier than some of these other guys. I think Linderbaum, probably a true center, you know, Aquano, you could talk about what position he is best fit for. He's got proven versatility. Kenyon green to play a number any number of spots, but he's still got that requisite nastiness. He's always looking for work in both the run and pass game. One of the things I wrote down, watching him seems to enjoy inflicting punishment on opponents. And you could see him do it, not just at the first level against against defensive linemen, but working up to the second level as a polar in the zone schemes, they do a lot to get him out in space. And he's really, really good up at the second level. See Max, you're still going to get some of those highlight blocks. They're going to get garner attention on social media. This guy is a really good pass protector on the interior. And I think when you're talking about a potential top 15, top 20 pick having that pedigree along with a, this guy was a big time recruit. Everybody knew who his name was all through the draft cycle. Now, all of a sudden, and he can plug in in any, any number of spots. He can get on the field early, work out some of those kinks as a rookie. And then by year three, you're talking Pro Bowl player. Uh, that's to me, is, is Kenyon Green on this list.
3: This is a good one. I enjoyed this argument a lot here. I love how you guys factor in the that social media plays a role in this where, you know, a guy could have 70 snaps, but if you have that one highlight reel snap that everyone's posting and retweeting, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but did you see what, what Kenyon Green did? And it's like, yeah, he might have done other things, the other 65 or so snaps, but as long as you saw that one, that makes all the difference here. So, uh, Ben, I'm going to eliminate you first because I love Iquana. I love Iquana. Here's the thing. He's already won this. We, we can't just go like double dip in here and mm. bring guys back to ensure ensure victories in the future. Otherwise, we'll just take the top draft pick and just fit them everywhere. So I lo- love the prospect, love the videos, but just for the sake of the fact that he's already won here, I- I'm going to pull him out of the discussion here. So we're going to go between Kane Green and Tyler Lindenbaum and Dane is going to win this one. I love the fact that he was a wrestler. Love that Tristan Worst had the high praise. Love that he's a freakless guy. You know, plays in one of those, you know, programs that's known for putting out. Quality offensive linemen. Uh, Five-sport athlete. You have the Kelsey comparison there. Seems like a guy that can come in there. Both. I, I, this is great arguments by both sides here. Really, all three. All very well done. This was, this was really a toss-up here, as it pretty much is every week. You know, I do love how Fran brought up that, you know, this guy... Green's going to be a top 15 selection or he's high up in the draft. Uh, I'm going to go a Linderbaum and uh, we'll see in three years. Uh, maybe, maybe all you guys are correct. Who knows here, but Dane's going to get the win this week here uh, for this week's on the clock segment.
4: I knew I should have mentioned all the young centers in the NFL that he's going to have to compete with over the next three years for that spot. Too have an epidemic too at see, right see, now. There's see, a lot of needs at guard around the league.
3: A, <laughs> see, nice, nice Ben. See, nice Ben. I don't know if he wins.
4: We get Bates. sassy Ben. I don't throw I don't throw any <laughs> debate slander in there, and I take the L right off the bat.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we need feisty Ben uh, on a weekly basis. We'll see, Mac. We all big- make we all make mistakes, C Mac, as you put on display here <laughs> in the last couple of minutes. But uh, C Mac, Ben, Dan, we will talk to all you guys later, right here on the Journey of the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. Great stuff there from Ben, from Dane, and, of course, from C-Mac as he joins the show once again for On The Clock. Now let's wrap this one up with our draft mailbag. And, again, quick reminder, jump on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question about a certain player, if you've got a mock draft, look – I want to see your mock drafts. If you got a mock draft, or whether it's an Eagles only or a specific team mock draft, or you want to just script out the first 10, 15 picks, jump onto any of those mock draft simulators. There are a bunch of them out there at this point. Fill out your mock draft, send it to us over on our Apple podcast page, and we will break it down right here in this segment. We might do a whole segment where we just break down a bunch of people's mock drafts. So uh, jump on, leave us a comment, and we will answer it here in this segment every single week. That said, let's get to a question here from Matty G28, who left a five-star review uh, saying, I love that you guys have brought up Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks. I have not been able to keep my eyes off of him since like week two of the season when you brought him up. Don't want to get too ahead of myself, but how would you see him fitting with the Eagles wide receiver room being that he would be one of the few big bodied receivers in the room? How do you see the current scheme fitting his talent? So, Matt, it's a good question. And obviously, look, uh, trying to project whether or not Traylon Burks could end up here in Philadelphia, it gets a little bit tricky. You know, the Eagles obviously have spent a first round pick on that position each of the past two seasons. So seeing them spend another one in a third year, I think would be interesting. That said. You've got three first-round picks, potentially, as we sit here today, right? So uh, I wouldn't completely shut the door on that prospect. That said, just looking at Traylon Burks, isolating and putting him into a vacuum, how does he fit into this current Eagles offense? Well, number one, the versatility. We know that uh, this offensive staff here in Philadelphia, they love to move those wide receivers around. Traylon Burks, what did I make that argument for him last week? Most versatile offensive player in this class. He can do a lot of different things. And also... This is an offense that is predicated on yards after catch. So whether that's the screen game or whether that's on these shallow crosses and those well-defined throws to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand quickly, Traylon Burks also fits the bill there as well. He's a good blocker. We know that that's valuable with all the different screens that the Eagles run. So Traylon Burks, I think would be a great fit. It's just a matter of asset management, making sure you're using those high quality picks on the entirety of your roster. Now that would be interesting if the Eagles were to go three receivers in three years in the first round. I wouldn't hate it because I I love Traylon Burks uh, and I would love to see him here uh, in Eagles green. But uh, just a really fun player, and it's funny you you can't you know, haven't been able to keep your eyes off of him. That's me every week. I feel like I could just like schedule a tweet every single Saturday from here through the rest of the college football season, just saying. Wow, Traylon Burks with like an eye emoji. And it would definitely be applicable every single week because he seems to do something amazing each and every week. Traylon Burks uh, from Arkansas, just so much fun. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. We'll be back later this week. Ben Fennel, Ross Tucker, Eric Galco, another great guest will join us this week. Make sure you stay subscribed right here to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.